Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, but it's trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but it's also to educate, teach, and put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me, hmm, at Jim Kramer. Can I get, please, can I get one of these? Today, the Labor Department released some not-so-hot employment numbers, and while that's not exactly what we wanted, it's exactly what we need. That's why stocks were able to actually rally on that news. Dow gaining 69 points. It was higher most of the day. S&P climbing 0.09%, while the Nasdaq, which is tech-heavy and does well uh, when the economy's really slow, dipped 0.17%. Why the heck are we rooting for really weak data? See, it's all about the macro. Now, I've never been a fan of macroeconomics. It's too big picture for me. But when our interest rates are much higher than the rest of the world and the Federal Reserve is reluctant to aggressively cut them, well, the macro matters and it matters a lot. That's why this disappointing non-farm payroll report was so important. It gives Fed Chief Jay Powell a lot more leeway to cut interest rates if he wants to. Remember, Powell's a traditionalist Fed chief, far more traditional than his predecessor, Janet Yellen. And traditionally, the Fed is a lot more concerned about preventing inflation than about keeping the economy roaring. That's why Powell wants to be so measured with these rate cuts, even though he was anything but measured with his rate hikes, asymmetrical and wrong. The problem is this old school mentality is really starting to hurt the economy. Look, I get where Powell's coming from. I lived through the 70s. I understand the fear that inflation is always lurking around the corner. And if you don't stamp it out, it will wreck your economy. But this isn't the 1970s, Jay. Jay, you're an old economy guy. Come on. Powell doesn't realize that the new economy is inherently deflationary. Sure, we're creating tons of new jobs, but thanks to the impact of labor-saving technology, wages are barely going up. For an old economy guy, I'm sure that's puzzling. But if you watch the tech companies I have on this show constantly, you know they're all about letting companies do more with fewer workers. In short, the Fed doesn't need to worry about inflation. I think they should cut rates and cut rates aggressively to offset any potential damage from the trade war. Trade war, you know, I favor. A not-so-hot jobs number makes it more likely that Powell will do the right thing. So the bulls got their number. The president was still able to crawl about 3.7% unemployment, one of the lowest figures in 50 years. And it's unlikely we'll have to fight the Fed. That is great news, people. As the late great stock sage Marty Zweig always used to tell us when he'd appear regularly on Louis Rukash's Wall Street Week, don't fight the Fed, don't fight the tape. The macro means we're not fighting the Fed. How about the tape? Okay, to figure that out, we've got to go to our game plan for next week. On Monday, the focus is going to be on some big Chinese data. Their consumer price index and producer price index. Is it too hard to put them out in one day in our country? They, they put them both ways. We do one day and then the next day. It's silly. I think you have to be wary of any official numbers coming out of the People's Republic. But we need to know how their economy is doing. And these two figures could give us some clues. Every day it feels like we're reassessing uh, who has the upper hand in the trade talks. If China's experiencing serious deflation, maybe they're in a worse bargaining position than some of us think. If there's major inflation because they've been debased their currency, that could also make it more likely for them to make a deal. If they're not too hot, not too cold, well, that might mean they'll be less willing to make concessions. This thing's going to drag on. So let's keep an eye on the numbers. 
Tuesday, we hear from RH. That's the old Restoration Harbor run by the great Gary Friedman, and he's been on a roll. Later tonight, I want to talk about how Lululemon's creation, creating destination retail, just engineering growth. But you know what? Nobody does it like RH. While it will be hard for Friedman to top his last set of numbers, I think he'll do it because it's so much fun to shop there. And by the way, the prices, RH has a terrific membership club that saves you a ton of money like Costco. You seen that stock? Anyway, have you been to a restoration hardware lately? It's an Instagram extravaganza. You are Gary's best advertisement. I was self-a-rooney McFadden last time I was there. We also get results from Zscaler. Oh, man, has this stock become controversial? And Zscaler had been one of the stocks that we focus on when we go out to California frequently. You know what? This is a cloud-based cybersecurity play. And a funny thing happened on the way to the cybersecurity forum. For once, there's some stuff, stiff competition in this business, and it is getting vicious. Earlier this week, Nikesh Arora, the CEO of Palo Alto Networks, PNW, delivered a perfect really a picture-perfect quarter. Stock keeps going higher. And told a story about offering protection for both on-premises systems, okay, using firewall, and the cloud. And protecting the cloud, well, that's Zscaler's bread and butter. That's why the stock's been clobbered for the past couple of days. Anyone listening to Cash knows the space is getting real crowded, okay? As he actually took a shot at Zscaler when he was on with me and David on Squawk on the Street. Hey, you know what? The gloves are finally off in this sector. Why does that matter? Because CrowdStrike. Oh, did you see the stock CrowdStrike? Another cloud security company that's been blessed by Amazon reported a terrific quarter and then saw its stock obliterated down 12%. So Zscaler, be careful. Wednesday night we get August mortgage applications. Wednesday morning we get uh, mortgage applications. Now, get this. With interest rates so low, you'd think all things housing would be spectacular, right? But unfortunately, there just aren't enough homes for sale. Remember how it was 10 years ago where there were too many homes? Now we don't have enough. That's why I don't expect a good mortgage applications number. I'm also betting we get a weak producer price index figure, and that's good. It gives more ammo to the doves on the Federal Reserve who want to lower rates ASAP like they should. Hey, after the close, I'm going to talk about a value stock for a second. All right, maybe a little bit of a joke, but Aurora Cannabis reports. Last year, this group was blazing hot. Now it is freezing cold. I'm starting to think that the pot stocks have become too hated. I've been scrutinizing Tilray. Looking at Afria, I mean, I see, you know, Erwin Simon, uh, Kronos, $11 with all that money from uh, the, the tobacco companies, Canopy, as names that may just have become, are you ready, ski daddy, value stocks. Don't laugh. In a world where there's so little growth in the packaged goods industry, these weed companies have a lot going for them. Edibles, drinks, patches, solves, be careful vaping, you name it. Not to mention actual medicinal marijuana that I think one day is going to be approved. Now, not GW Farm. I'm talking about broad. Thursday may well bring us a tame consumer price index number, again, giving the Fed more reason to cut rates. Oh, and if you want to know how the CPI could be low, just listen in on Kroger's conference school. The supermarket chain simply cannot raise prices to save its life. Uh, why? Well, because the world's dominated by, yes... Costco and Amazon and Target and Walmart. These huge players are doing everything they can to keep grocery prices down. They're succeeding because that's how they edge out the competition. No wonder Kroger stock has been wallowing for ages. After the close, we hear from one controversial stock that is just one of my faves, frankly, and it's Broadcom. That's the old, uh, well, you may ABGO. This might be the most important earnings call of the week. Why? First, Broadcom does a huge amount of business in China. Second, it's the it's supposed to be the putative buyer of the enterprise portion of the cybersecurity company Symantec. Although there were new reports say that two private equity firms have approached Symantec to buy the whole thing. 
Let's see what develops there. And third, the company's got a great handle on 5G. And thanks to the acquisition of CA, the mainframe business, too. Broadcom CEO Hocktan is both wily and tough. And boy, does he like to buy a stock back. I bet you he delivers a terrific quarter. Finally, we have the biggest macro number of the week, and that's retail sales on Friday. The great conundrum of this economy is the incredible decline of the mall, which is captured in the overall retail numbers, combined with the spectacular growth from the e-commerce facilitators like Amazon Web Services, Etsy, and Shopify. This morning, when we interviewed my old pal Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, he talked about how the new economy is creating all sorts of uncountable jobs. They're just too under the radar to assess, and they're often deflationary. So you get weak retail sales from everyone except the uncountables. That's what I call them. Think people who are selling stuff on Etsy as their side hustle uh, and the big five, Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco and uh, Home Depot, which, of course, is my favorite watch list. Look, like I said before, I don't like placing too much emphasis on these macro numbers. It's a bad way to make investment decisions. But the president and the Fed chief are at war over monetary policy here. So the macro matters. Love him or hate him. Trump is absolutely right on this issue. And the bond market is practically begging Powell to slash and burn rates back down to 1% here. The president said today in a tweet that he agrees with me and my view about Powell. And I'm glad he does, because rates must come down to reaccelerate this economy. Democrat or Republican, you should agree with that. The bottom line, even if the Fed chief won't listen to the president, he should certainly listen to the bond market, which has made it crystal clear that he raised rates too fast, and now they got to come down Almost immediately. Justin in Kentucky. Justin. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. I wanted your input on Ericsson, Fox symbol ERIC, and the role it'll play in the global rollout of 5G over the next few years. It Uh, should be good. It should be good. But Huawei has consistently underpriced its business and made it so even though Ericsson has been my preferred way to play it, I've switched to Marvell, M-R-V-L, as a way to play 5G because then I don't have to worry about the Chinese trying to wreck uh, a European company that is defenseless because the Europeans don't protect themselves against the Chinese. Peter in Tennessee. Peter. Professor Kramer. Yes. Thank you for showing me and my son Jackson how to put our earnings to work. I've earned some money, and I really appreciate it. Uh, listen, last week while you were out, Ulta took a dive. And in sympathy, I think, my Estee Lauder also went down. Is this a, a sign for me to pull out, or should I double down or just hold on? Okay, Estee Lauder didn't really come down that much, sir, and it hit an all-time high today. Uh, the Fabrizio Freda, I think, uh, acquitted himself incredibly well. Mary Dillon, I think, does have a little more explaining to do because uh, uh, Ulta shouldn't have been as bad as it was, particularly because Macy's actually had a pretty good uh, uh, section of that market. She, is, she blamed, uh, let's say, some companies not having enough fresh stuff, Estee Lauder does have fresh stuff. Don't sell your Estee Lauder because of Ulta. And by the way, Estee Lauder's diversified very much away from the United States. Dan in Florida. Dan, how about Action Jackson liking the show? Dan in Florida. Dan. Jim, love your show. Thank you. Really like your Action Alert emails, too. There you go. We've got a big club call next week. Go ahead. <laughs> You've been positive on Canopy Growth Corporation in the past because of their cash position and right. relationship with Constellation Group. I got in the stock for the long haul, and I know it's been up the last couple of days big, but after their firing of their CEO a while back, I wanted to know, is this a broken stock or is it a broken company? I search and search and search, Dan, myself, because uh, I was shocked at how bad that last quarter was. 
Uh, the company is leaderless right now. Uh, Constellation doesn't seem to have a hint on what to do. Uh, it's now wait and see. Now you can say, Jim, you liked it at 40. Well, you know what? I liked it at 40 because I thought they were doing well. And then they report a horrendous quarter. Am I supposed to double down and like them even more? Hey, I got it wrong because they got it wrong. All right? What can I say? I like Kronos more. Pal, listen to me. Jay, listen to me. Take a cue from the bond market. Forget the present. Take a cue from the bond market. Rates are too high. Bond market's big. You know and trust it. On Mad Money tonight, what's ahead for Amazon? The hot tech stock has made you a fortune over the long term, but can it rain, its reign continue? I'm going to tackle the technicals. I think they're going to tell you more than you ever want to believe. And then I'm stirring the pot when it comes to investment in Campbell's. Is the stock mm-mm good? I'm going to give you my take. And shares of At Home took a tumble yesterday, but with the shares moving higher today, is the company remodeling? Hey, I got the exclusive with the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. All right, what do we make of the recent action in maybe the most popular stock in this market, Amazon? Ever since the high-flying tech stock peaked above 2000 in mid-July, this thing has run into some serious turbulence, as those who own it know. Amazon got clobbered along with the rest of the market in late July and early August, but after trading sideways for a few weeks, well, it, it's finally getting some lift, like some of the other retailers, but not as strong. We have to ask if it's a real bottom. Has Amazon gotten its mojo back? Tonight, we're going off the charts, special Friday edition, with the help of Carolyn Baroden. She's that brilliant technician who runs the FibonacciQueen.com website. Also happens to be one of my colleagues at RealMoney.com to try to answer that question. Oh, and of course, happy birthday, Fib Queen. The last time we checked in with Broden on July 29th, Amazon was trading at 1912 and she told us to be ready for a resumption of the stock's long-term rally somewhere above its June 3rd low at uh, $1,692. While she was hoping Amazon's floor support would hold in the low 1800s, her thesis was that we were experiencing a temporary decline and a bottom would soon be at hand. Well, it took a little longer than expected. The stock didn't rally turn, uh, really turn until uh, late August. But after its recent run, it's looking more and more like Baroden was dead right, so we went back to her. When you get a stock like Amazon right, we go right back to the well. Take a look at the daily chart of the action in Amazon over the past nine months. Broden uses a very particular method to detect potential changes in the stock's trajectory. She measures past swings and then runs them through the prism of Fibonacci numbers. That's a series of ratios discovered by Leonardo Fibonacci that repeat over and over and over again in nature. I seashells, pine cones, I, well, and for some bizarre reason, the stock market. The great thing about her MO is that it applies to both the y-axis of the chart, which is price, and the x-axis of the chart, time. Price, time. 
price time. Meanwhile, she has a tool that can help her identify important levels or important dates where her stock is most likely to change direction. When the market's pulling back hard, like it was uh, when we spoke with her in late July, these Fibonacci time and price relationships can help you find safer entry points as you try to pick the stocks from weakness, as you know we like, because we like Amazon and they have money. What does this have to do with the stock of Amazon? All right. When the stock was getting shelled again last month, you had a pretty classic setup. The last time Amazon got put through the meat grinder in May, the stock plummeted, you're not going to believe this, 292 points. Okay? 292. Keep that number in mind. Uh, and then it started rebounding. So if you were using Broden's method, you would have known something important was happening when the stock bottomed again early last week. Why? Because on August 26th, when Amazon made its recent low, it had already come down 292 points. 292, 292. Is that incredible? Uh, that's the same size as the last big decline. You can't make this stuff up. This is a concept called symmetry. Stocks moves tend to terminate at, le- at similar levels. In other words, if the last big decline lasted for 292 points, there's a good chance that the next one will last for 292 points. I, it sounds ridiculous to many of you, like the kind of an analysis a fifth grader or a second grader might do. Uh, but the thing about symmetry is that it very often works. You can't make this stuff up. Yes, sometimes the market really is that unrigorous. That symmetry had Broden watching the mid-1700s as a likely level where Amazon might find a bottom. And that's not all. You had some other Fibonacci price relationships forming a powerful floor of support in the 1730s and the 1740s. Take a look at that. Sure enough, the August 26th low was made at 1743. But like I told you before, Broden's methodology also looks at time. She's always measuring the duration of past swings in a given stock, then running them through her Fibonacci ratios to find crucial dates when you're likely to get a reversal. With Amazon's recent low, there were five separate Fibonacci timing cycles coming due between August 26th and August 28th. Okay, so you can see these. That's this axis. So she had the price parameters predicting a low somewhere in the mid-1700s, and then the stock fell to those levels right when Broden's time parameter said it was due for a bottom. When the floor of support held, Amazon quickly started, uh, it started its rising thing. And its five-day exponential moving average crossed above its 13-day exponential moving average, which is Broden's favorite buy signal, and many technicians know that. And sometimes it's something we told you to watch out for the last time we highlighted her work in late July. Since the bottom, Amazon's already rallied a quick 90 points in less than two weeks, up 5%. So what do you do with it now? Broden says the stock is back in uptrend mode. That's why she thinks you should buy any dips. We have one today in Amazon as long as it holds above the 1743 level. That's your classic level. If it drops below that level, okay, that might call uh, the uptrend into question. But if the recent bottom holds, how high could this stock go? All right, based on 127.2% Fibonacci extension of the last big swing, Broden could easily see Amazon climbing to $2,115. And that's just her first upside target. If the stock can cross that hurdle, it might be able to run all the way to $2,216. Holy cow, would that be a huge move? And it's possible. My view, you know I'm a big believer in Amazon. They're the single most dominant player in retail. Their web services business is the single most dominant player in the cloud infrastructure space. And they've also got a rapidly growing advertising business. I like it here. Although I like it, of course, even more on the pullback than she'd like you to get it on. But the bottom line, the charts as interpreted by Talon Burrow suggest that Amazon has finally resumed its long-term rally, and she thinks it might be headed to 2,115, which would be a pretty nice run. I think you ignore the Fibonacci queen at your own peril. Stick with Crane.
This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. People keep asking me if they should sell everything in anticipation of the rumored recession, the one that the experts can't stop yakking about, you know. But you know what? If you're really worried about a slowdown, if today's not-so-hot employment report makes you nervous, if the bond market's got you jumpy, the last thing you should do is sell everything. Instead, you might want to take a look at some of these uh, slowdown stocks. And even if you agree with me that a recession is pretty unlikely, you should own something that works in a slowdown simply because that's how you stay diversified. So here's where I come down. You want to own something defensive with real internal catalysts that should drive the stock higher regardless of what happens in the broader economy. Something that gets an extra boost from a slowdown but works either way. Something like... Campbell's Soup. Here's an iconic packaged food name that I started recommending for speculation back in April when the stock was still pretty much down in the dumps. Campbell's Soup had fallen behind the rest of the industry. They were a classic pantry play at a moment when, well, there didn't seem much interest in that part of the supermarket. But then a big-name activist investor got involved, Dan Loeb, who runs Third Point. At Loeb saw a badly undermanaged house of brands. Think their namesake got Campbell's products, along with Pepperidge Farm. You probably liked a lot of these. r Nots, okay, that's overseas. V8. I love that. Plum Baby Foods, Snyder's, Hanover Pretzels, Swanson Broths, Brago, Brago Pasta Sauces, and a bunch of others. So he promptly declared war on the board of directors. He pushed for some major changes, including an outright sale. Ended up installing a whole new management team. When I told you to buy Campbell five months ago, I wasn't too clear on where the company was headed, but I was pretty confident the stock's general direction was up. Sure enough, since then, Campbell's broken out to higher le- highest levels since early last year. Stock up more than 14%. And you know what? I don't think it's done. I think it's got a lot more room to run. In fact, I like Campbell's Soup more up here at nearly 45 than I did when it was at 39 in April, much more murky. Why? Because as it turns out, the activist involvement wasn't even the most important part of the story. The company's now in the midst of a real turnaround. They're really getting their house in order. And while Dan Loeb certainly deserves some credit for that, he doesn't deserve all the credit. Truth is, Campbell's Soup is doing much better operationally than even in the, bull, the bulls expected. And i got to tell you, I, I think that keeps up. I'll tell you why. First, let me catch everybody up on what's happened here. When I got behind this thing in April, Campbell had just been through a messy fight with Loeb. Uh, This was a debt-laden company with a lousy track record. Loeb wanted them to put themselves up for sale, but there was one tiny problem. Campbell's Soup is effectively a control company by the descendants of the the Durants, John T. Durants. He's the man who invented condensed soup. His family owns somewhere between 40 to 45% of the company, and they didn't want to sell. However, after a long back and forth with the threat of a messy proxy fight, Loeb came to an agreement with Campbell's board last November. In exchange for a couple of board seats and input on the hiring of a new CEO, Loeb signed a standstill agreement, basically committed to stop agitating for the next year. Eventually, Loeb and the board compromised with a new CEO, Mark Klaus. He's the former CEO of Pinnacle Foods, who sold Pinnacle to ConAgra. Klaus took the helm in late December. 
I'd love to have him come on the show, by the way. And he got off to a pretty good start. He quickly started offloading non-core bands, including Bold House Farms for $510 million, and also looking to sell the cookie business. Uh, when Campbell's Soup reported in February, the results were better than expected. So with the stock trading at 15 times earnings and supporting a bountiful dividend, I gave you my blessing to own the one, at least for speculation. Even though I didn't like the balance sheet, I was pretty skeptical that the company would eventually put itself up for sale because of that Durant's factor I mentioned. Since then, though, we've got a pretty much a very clear picture of where Campbell's Soup is headed. I like how it's headed. I like how it looks. Copy delivered a blog quarter. That's right, in early June. That's the first time they had a meaningful top and bottom line beat in ages. Management raised their full year earnings forecast. Even better, Klaus told us that his cost-saving initiatives were coming in ahead of schedule. They're planning for $850 million worth of savings by the end of 2022. And by June, they were already at $535 million. Plus, he was adamant that he'd keep selling non-core parts of the business, especially the international brands, in a disciplined way. No fire sale. In response, the stock caught fire, surging from 38 to 42 in a single session. Two weeks later, they closed on that Bold House Farm sale. I happen to like Bold House Farms, but they paid too much. They brought in $510 million. Great news for the balance sheet, even though it was widely expected. and It was a huge loss versus what they paid for in the business in 2012. Then a little less than two months ago, Campbell Soup announced another major asset sale. They're offloading Kelsen Group. That's a Danish snack food business, $300 million. We love these moves. While Campbell's has some pretty dominant brands here, iconic brands here in the U.S., their international biz- brands were really a lot less impressive. So it makes sense to dump them and, and focus on what you do best. Gets better. Early last month, we learned that Campbell's found a buyer for Arnott's Biscuits. That's an Australian cookie business. They're selling it to KKR, the private equity firm, for $2.2 billion in cash. Hey, that's huge. Put it all together in Campbell's Soup, basically offloading their whole international portfolio for $2.5 billion. And don't forget, they just got $510 million from Bolthouse. Suddenly, the $9 billion in debt that the company has, and a lot of it take, taken by paying way too much for these guys, well, it at least seems a lot less worrisome. They, they overpaid for this beyond all the It makes me sick to look at it. Which brings me to last week, when Campbell's Soup reported yet another good quarter. Strong guidance for the 2020 fiscal year. They managed to thread the needle between optimistic and achievable. The key here, the company's organic sales from continuing operations increased by 2%. That's thanks to strength in snacks, meals, beverages in the next fiscal year. They are looking for 1% to 3% sales growth. Higher margins translating that into 9 to 11% earnings growth. These are fantastic numbers for this, well, uh, what was basically a dormant food company. Campbell's Soup has now managed to beat the numbers for four consecutive quarters. While the Bears still argue this turnaround will be a lot harder than many people seem to believe, the Bulls are more confident that the company can hit the high end of their forecast for 2020. The market clearly sided with the Bulls, and the stock surged from 42 to 45 over the next couple of days. And it seems the Bears are being forced to change their minds. Three days ago, Piper Jeffrey upgraded Campbell's Soup from underweight to neutral. They had to sell on the darn thing because they, they can't deny all of the progress that management's making. In short, the new CEO, a compromise candidate between Daniel Loeb and the board, has done a remarkable job. Campbell's Soup finally has gotten good execution. After years of declining sales, the business is growing again. They've doubled down on their best businesses, offloaded everything else, using the proceeds to pay down debt. The bottom line, with Campbell's trading at 17 times next year's earnings estimates and still 3.1% yield, I think the stock is a buy at these levels and not just for speculation. This thing has become investable. And if they stumble, hey, Dan Loeb's standstill agreement ends in November. So he'll soon be able to push for even more changes if they become necessary. I just hope the stock gets hit so you can get in on weakness because this thing's real. Let's go to Doug in Iowa, please. Doug. Jim, thank you for taking my call. Of course. 
My question today is about Kraft Heinz. Is there a price or could management take some action that would encourage analysts and investors to get just a little more interested in the stock? Well, you can always do that. There's always something you can do, Doug, which is why I didn't just say, hey, listen, stocks stop at zero or some, you know, glib thing. Uh, they have things, they have levers, but you know what? They have no growth and they have no growth because they systematically cut back. There's very little innovation. They'll tell you there is, but I got to tell you, take a look at their stuff. There's nothing cooking. They need to have, they need to blow the company up. And I don't know if they're capable of doing it. Let's go to Peter in North Carolina, please. Peter. How you doing, Mr. Kramer? I am doing well, Peter. How about you? Good, thanks. Uh, my question here, several years ago, we purchased Sprout Farmers Market stock at nearly $28 a share. Since, Sprout has enjoyed growth and expansion, and you would think increased value. The share price is currently $18.50 or so. Right. Why the share well, yeah, Sprat, look, you're going up against Amazon, and uh, we don't want to go up against Amazon. Uh, remember, they did buy Whole Foods. They're doing a pretty good job. Whole Foods does get better and better. I, I really like what they're doing. I don't want to compete. It's just too hard. Um, let's go to Jane in California. Jane. Um, uh, good afternoon, Kramer. Thank you so much for for all of your help over these years. Well, sure trying. I- how can I help now? Um, I've been in Domino's for a long time. It's been a winner. I'm playing with the house of money, have taken off a lot. But I'm wondering if the Domino story has changed um, or if I should switch, switch to something It, it has changed. It has changed because the great thing about Domino's is it delivers. But now everybody delivers. And that's been the uh, – it's not Rich Allison's work that's doing. Rich was great at International. It's just that they are, the other teams seem like they're playing with the house's money. I think you have to hold off for now. All right, look. If you want to own something defensive with real catalysts that could still work regardless, I want you to take a look at Campbell's. Yeah, you've seen it. You've gone by it. It's better. Just It's just better run. I have much more mad money ahead. Looking for a home in the retail space? After yesterday's decline in at home, I'll tell you if the stock's in need of a remodel when I sit down with the CEO. Hey, then did you catch Lululemon's climb today? Talk about a workout. It's a set may have left you winded, but you know what? It should come as no surprise. I'm going to break down the quarter. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning For this home furnishing player, spring and summer brought storm clouds and a major plunge in stock price. Does market emotion truly reflect company performance? Or can investors find strong value in a stock that's been taken out to the curb? You know, I spent a lot of time focusing on the huge retailers that have so much clout, like Watch, that they can pretty much shrug off the impact of the trade war with China. But for the rest of the industry, things look a lot dicier. Consider the case of At Home Group. That's the home decor superstore chain, 206 locations across 39 states. 
For years, at-home was red hot thanks to the terrific regional and national growth story that I love. But then the tariffs hit, and unfortunately, this company's got a lot of exposure to Chinese imports. And that's why the stock has been eviscerated, flowing from roughly $40 at its highs uh, down to 4 bucks and change at its lows last month. But in the past few weeks, at-home stock has started to come back with a vengeance. Two days ago, the company reported again, though the stock initially got hit on the news. It's now flying. It's up 11% today. What happened? At-home, the actual numbers were, well, they were, let's call them mixed. They earned $0.18 cents a share. Wall Street was only expecting 15 uh, sales came in a little late. I, I, you know what? I, I, I still think it was better than feared. Plus, in the conference call, management was confident that their earnings growth next year would outpace their sales growth, meaning that they believe that things can overcome the tariffs, either by changing their sourcing, raising prices, strong-arming suppliers, you know, all the stuff that everybody has to do in retail now. So can the stock keep rebounding, even though it's caught in the crossfire of the trade war? Let's check in with Lee Burgess, the chairman and CEO of At Home Group, find out more about the quarter and where the company's headed. Mr. Burr, welcome back to Mad Money. Great. Hey, thanks. Good to see you. It's good to see. You. Okay, so Lee, it's kind of like it was like a little bit of an animalist, horriblest, perfect storm. I mean, you got the tariffs. Uh, you got to slow down in some parts of home. Uh, and now I wonder whether uh, the stock was too high and now it's too low. I mean, you have to believe that this pendulum's swinging too far. Well, we feel like we're undervalued. We're a high-growth retailer. We grew 19% last quarter. Right. We continue to gain share. We're profitable, and we've got a whole lot of white space in front of us. But at the same time, you did the unthinkable for the growth guys. You said, you know what, we've got to go a little slower. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the growth guys just want, they want you to go uh, 300, 500 to 1,000 stores. You pulled back and said, listen, we're going to try to figure out what's the best. And you went to EDLP. You went to everyday low pricing, which is what I love, because EDLP wins over the consumer. Mm-hmm. How is that change going? So we've always been EDLP, but we now we're calling about EDLP plus. It's okay. really more of our approach to markets, the go-to-market strategy. We've always had low prices, right. but with all the noise and the promotions and the sales out there, we've just not been getting credit for it. So we're modifying our approach by having category-by-category events every two weeks to highlight the great prices and then change the inside of our stores dynamically over the next few months so that our customer will see that and will continue to enhance the treasure. Okay, so that's the surgical price increases that you're talking about. Because those confuse me. I mean, I'm trying to figure out uh, whether you're trying to beat Wayfair and Amazon, whether you're going against other, uh, the home business that some of these uh, department stores have. Mm-hmm. Because I'm concerned when I see a stock go down like this, and I know you, you're going profitable, but you don't have that much cash. I get worried that I'm missing something, that you're regional, national, good company, well-managed. But the punishment the stock endured tells me that maybe there's something else I'm missing, the tariff's that bad for you. I think there's been a lot of cloud in the story, but right. I would say that we feel like the market doesn't quite understand and sees us, at, well, let's just say we're undervalued. Okay. Okay, because we keep growing. We're profitable. We mm-hmm. have a great market potential. We're 200 stores to go to 600 stores, right. and we're the low-price leader. And we right. feel like we're perfectly suited to win in the marketplace and have been winning. We've been growing 20% a year for the past five years. I know, but you had two quarters of down comps. We did. We did. We had two quarters of slightly negative comps. And, were, but the weather, the weather was super I know, tough. But when you have 18% year. revenue gain and two down comps, that is a WT grant formula. That's what we learned at Goldman. It's a mm-hmm. WT grant. You can't have that big sales increase and have the comps go down. Mm-hmm. Can that change? It can change. That's why we're focusing on this EDLP plus approach. Okay. We feel like this is within our control. We can do better. We feel like we're not getting enough credit for our prices. That's why our go-to-market strategy is being adjusted. Okay. But we always have went on, went on low prices. But how are you going to be able to 
let's say the trade war, he takes tariffs, the president takes tariffs to the 30 percent. Sure. which is what I understand he wants to do mm-hmm. if these talks fail. Mm-hmm. What is your plan? And it can't be to Vietnam because the president's about to hit Vietnam pretty hard. We've had a playbook. We've been working on this for a year now. We've had a lot of experience, obviously, with it. We've worked with our suppliers to both mitigate and migrate out of okay. those countries. We've gone direct sourcing. That's another area where we take the middleman out. We also look at how to diversify in other countries. Okay. And lastly, we do take surgical price increases only after our competitors have already taken price. Okay. Uh, I would think that with the stock plummeting this far, that you'd be a buyer yourself. We think the stock is undervalued. It's an opportunity. Are you a buyer yourself? I've been buying at different times throughout okay. the past three years, and I still think it's a great opportunity. All right. Now, uh, you've got what I consider to be uh, a fabulous category. But the category somehow has cooled a bit. Why is that with unemployment at 3.7%? The category. I think, I think the category has been choppy for the first yes, half. Yes, it has, you, you, but a, why? A negative 3%, 5% traffic overall. But shouldn't this be a great category if everyone can get a job? I think it's a great category for us. We're the low price leader, and people are very cautious of how they spend their money. I think consumer spending is healthy, but the consumer is very savvy around price. And we're the low price leader. We're perfectly suited to continue. Do you come under Wafer? We do. You do? We come under all the, uh, we, we try to win on price. We're below everybody else's sales price. Well, this is a quandary. I mean, I'm sure you're as mystified as I am. I mean, I think that it was a super growth stock, and then you decided to put the brakes on mm-hmm. prudently. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the prudent thing was a great thing. But these guys, well, and maybe that's the rally. Maybe people are recognizing that a prudent high growth story is better than a super high growth story that, that is unsure of itself. We think it's the right approach going forward. We think a balanced approach of growth and profitability, as well as a focus on free cash flow and reducing our leverage, is the right balance for us going forward. Well, I agree with you on that, and I, I wish you the best of luck. I, Thanks. F- quite frankly, mystified that they would hammer it to slow. The 11% gain seems right to me. That's Lee Bird, Chairman, President, CEO of uh, At Home. Guys, just because someone slows down their store growth doesn't mean the story's over. It may be just the opposite. Everybody's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the and then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, Ski? Daddy, over the lightning round, because I'm Steven in Florida. Steven! A big double booyah to you, Jim. A thanks for booyah. taking my call tonight. Okay. Been a long-time viewer, and thanks so much for your sage advice over the last several years, Jim. You are quite welcome. And I was wondering if you could give me your thoughts on NEO, neogenomics. You know what? Neogenomics is another one of these diagnostic companies that might have something that could work against cancer. I have yet to say no to any of those. I think that it's a good spec. Why? Because that is the holy grail. Be able to find something that stops, you know, that you can find find out cancer early. That's it. Let's go to Rob in Pennsylvania. Rob. Booyah, Kramer. Go, Birds. Hey, um, what do you think of the stock Yeti and is now the time to get in? You know, it's funny. I, I bumped into someone uh, when I was traveling to Italy who was saying, Jim, be careful with Yeti. Their balance sheets are not what you'd like it to be. They weren't doing that well. They were private. I, I believe it, it did put the scare in me because it's up 100% for the year. So I am going to say up 100% for the year. I'm not going to push you. I'm not. Let's go to Josie in Virginia. Josie. How you doing, Jim? I am doing good. How about you? I talked to you about five years ago, three times. 
Yeah, how was I call, it? I called you my ambassador of Quinn, taken as a Jerry Maguire movie. Yeah. And you are, because you made me a lot of money. Well, I try to show it to you and make it for you. What's going on? I wanted a, a quote on Nutanix, N-U-T-A-N-N. I got enough problems uh, telling people I still like VMware. I cannot go down the Nutanix pipe. I know that Nutanix is uh, making a little bit of a comeback, but it's too hard for me. Uh, I just think that they have they have to put a couple couple of quarters together that are good, and they've not done that. How about Dave? Oh, my God, Dave in Illinois. Dave! Dr. Kramer, hey, I want to wish you all the best on your upcoming Eagles NFL season, beginning with your home opener against Washington. Yes, thank you. you know, yeah, they're begging you to take uh, the skins, just so you know. Uh, what's going on? Jim, up 65% year-to-date. Will you endorse the rhythm of Cadence Design System? No, because I remember Cadence, the old days, Dave, and they've never been able to put together, I think, a systematic year of great numbers. I'm going to say let's hold off. The stock is uh, overvalued. And can, I want to say that my executive producer, by mistake, had a keystroker and played Trubisky last night. And, um, and she's over there. It's Regina uh, dining in hell, Gilgan, and she is dining in hell. It had, Dave's from Illinois, so I think it's just between me and Dave. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion, she had Mahomes of the Lightning Round. <laughs> the Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. You are super. You are awesome. I'm a first-time investor. Thank you for inspiring me to get in the game. Your show is the best. I am so glad you're on TV. I want you to know that you have transformed me. Thank you, Kramer. Don't forget to breathe. Breathe in. Oh, jeez. Um, hey, listen, we're we're having a tale of two cities right here. Uh, it's a tale of cities moment in retail right now. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the spring of hope for the select few winners. It was the winter of despair for everybody else. Now, look, lately, lately, I have spent a lot of time focusing on a modified plank because my back hurts. I can no longer do the long plank that I did five years ago. But I've also spent a lot of time talking about the winners in retail. I mean, you got the huge change with the clout to strong arm their suppliers and eating the cost of President Trump's tariffs. Think watch. That's Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco and Home Depot. And you got the trade down place, like, you know, like the, the off price chains and, and the dollar stores. Like, think TJX or Burlington stores, Dollar Tree, Dollar General. But after listening to Lululemon's executives talk about a truly blowout quarter, we need to add a third category of winners, the experiential retailers. As they explain on the call, if you're ingenious, if you engineer growth, that's their term, you can get the job done even in this environment. Now, don't get me wrong. My initial thesis still holds. The power of Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot is absurd. They've been able to hold the line on price and cram their suppliers, many of whom are still sourcing from China. Target's the smallest member of Watch, and they just told their suppliers to suck it up and absorb the cost of the tariffs. That tells you all you need to know. Meanwhile, we've seen some astounding numbers from the dollar stores and off-price change. Dollar Tree talked about how it's mitigating the impact of the tariffs through better sourcing, clever tricks like figuring out how to pack a container with more merchandise. As for off-price Burlington's, it's crushing it. 
precisely because all those mall-based department stores are struggling. They buy up the excess unsold inventory for a fraction of its price and mark it back up and sell it to you at what's still a huge discount. That's why Burlington's quarter last week was so stupendous. But Lulu, Lulu is a horse of a different color. This company's integrating itself into the fabric of society, no pun intended, with innovations like their new store that they've got in Lincoln Park, Illinois, where CEO Calvin McDonald waxed eloquently last night about connectivity with our community, both inside and outside the four walls of our store. End quote. I think connecting with the community is the key to generating traffic these days, although the only companies that seem to have a good handle on this are Lulu and RH, the old restoration hardware, which, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, reports this week. The Lincoln Park Lulu experiment has dedicated space to, quote, sweat, grow, and connect all under one roof, end quote. Meditation rooms, locker rooms, showers, health food, fuel. It's got it all. And that's a, a very strong category to, your, to tie yourself to. The template is so effective, they're also talking about putting it in the Mall of America. Plus, Lulu's got a new deal with Barry's Boot Camp. It cements their ownership of real deal workouts. And, hey, it's global. The company has powerful annual sweat life festivals. Sweat life festival. And, and, and I'm sweating, so maybe that's what it is about. In London and Berlin that bring people into the stores. They back marathons, which CEO Calvin McDonald says are fantastic examples of how we're bringing innovation to guest engagement. Lulu's relentless focus on what they call this science of feel and their desire to solve sweaty problems for athletes reminds me of the innovative ways of the old Under Armour. They know the Internet, always have. They now offer buy online and pick up in stores. That's called BOPUS, but with them it should be B-O-PUS. Think about that. Finally, perhaps best of all, Lulu is a China winner. They called out particular strength of the People's Republic, with over 70% e-commerce growth. That's right, 70. I uh, plan to add 15 stores this year. But unlike many other apparel plays, Lulu is quick to diversify its sourcing away from the PRC. Now, they, they, in the U.S. stores, it's only 6% exposure. Look, I know there are some attractive brick-and-mortar retailers from the point of view of what looks like value. Macy's, 9.8% yield. Uh, uh, Kohl's, because of its time with Amazon, you can return your Amazon book goods in person at the stores. It's, it, but that idea has not worked as I would like it to for my travel trust. But if you want to want growth, you need that experiential factor. I mean, real experiential. Not the kind of faux, all-talk talk experiential that everybody in the industry claims they have. Lulu's got it, and they got it for real. And that's how you can put up 15% same-store sales growth, and it's why their stock remains a buy, even though it's already up more than 60% for the year. Stick with them. Chief Pal, got your cover. Take some cuts. Let's get this economy on course again. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.